0: We're gonna talk to somebody that I consider an angel on earth today. And you're gonna wanna hear this story because she does something that very few of us would do or would wanna do or would know how to do. So hang around. This edition of The Chuck Williams Show is gonna be worth listening. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is The Chuck Williams Show. I didn't use that intro lightly I do consider my guest Pat Frey who's the director of Home for Good a United Way agency that deals with homeless an angel on earth she we all ride by homeless people in our town or walk by them ride by them in our cars Pat gets out and part of her job is to help the homeless people find housing and find a way in many cases Pat thank you for joining us thank you
1: for having me very
0: much you know I'm very familiar with your work, so I've been covering you for what? five. You started in 14, right?
1: No, actually in 16, January of 16.
0: Okay, okay so I who was your predecessor? Um,
1: Christy Beavis was the exec left, director. And she left prior.
0: Columbus, and you stepped into Home for Good five years ago. What do you know about homelessness in Columbus that the rest of us need to know?
1: That on any given day, it could be any of us. Um, if nothing else, we've, been, we've learned over the past 18 months that it takes just one incident that the, our rug, the rug is pulled out from underneath us. Homelessness is not um, what, or the face of homelessness is not what people think it is. Uh, the numbers of families experiencing homelessness is um, unfortunately higher than it's ever been in our community and around the country. It is the largest growing segment of the population. And it's because of not just the past 18 months to two years, but it's years and years. You're and talking years. about COVID. I'm talking about COVID. And prior to that, the the lack of affordable housing and rising, rising uh, rental rates, uh, just income not keeping up. Those that are living at or below the poverty level, um, you know, we just had the, the, the American Relief Plan that has helped raise some children out of poverty, and that's a wonderful thing, but that's going to be a short-lived. We have to take a look at our entire system and at how we deal with housing and education and income and employment and child care and health care and all of it, as all of it is interconnected. There it's is no one person who has not been affected by each one of those.
0: Do you feel like Don Quixote?
1: Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) Sometimes, yeah.
0: Because you're sitting there saying, okay, this is a major problem. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that are listening to this are probably not homeless. I would
1: reckon that, yes. Mm -hmm.
0: So you said it could happen to any of us. Give me an example of how someone who's middle to lower middle class, maybe living paycheck to paycheck. What could happen to drive that person into a situation where they don't have shelter?
1: A hospitalization that puts you out of work for two weeks, and that's the end of your sick leave, and you need to be at home um, in a recuperative state for another three weeks. Well, you're gone three weeks without a paycheck. you got a mortgage that's due. You have to have food, and it becomes a snowball effect heaven forbid, if you have a car payment and car insurance. And if you're out for more than four weeks, they might stop your benefits. So you might lose your health insurance. And by the time you get on Medicaid, then you've got another hospitalization because you couldn't get your medicine.
0: Have you seen that scenario play out? I know someone
1: who's living it right now.
0: Never expected to be in this situation?
1: Never. Works every day. Pays taxes, does the right thing. Again, this is not because someone made a choice to do this or not do this. People are not, for the most part, 97% of those who are experiencing homelessness are not homeless because they choose to be or they made bad choices. It's called life happens. Some of us don't have a safety net. I was always blessed in my life to have a safety net. Mine were blessed to have a safety net of people we could – go to wrap around us to to get us through. Not everyone has that.
0: Is that the most difficult part when you see somebody like the person you know that's in that situation right now?
1: Well absolutely and the fact that it's going to take many, many more of those instances before we see real change happen. Unfortunately, when it comes to making real social change, whether it be by way of law, legislation, by way of social programs, whatever, many of us have to see it firsthand in our own lives and those closest to us before it really hits home.
0: I mean, using an example, it may not be a fair one, but that's how the pendulum on gay marriage changed. A lot of people in this country had people that were gay and their families or in their close inner circle, and all of a sudden a lot of opinions that might have been one way evolved a different way.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, is that a fair comparison? I, I, I think it's absolutely spot on. I think that's the way we have had change in a lot of things. That, uh, But we have a long way to go. It
0: hits close to home.
1: It hits, when it hits close to home, we can always say those people until you realize those people
0: are your people. This got heavy quick. <laughs> um, and I, homelessness is a heavy topic. It is. How did you, I mean, you traditionally weren't a social worker per se. You weren't in the homelessness business until five years ago. What, how did you end up here doing, first of all, tell me what Home for Good do, does and then let's say, how'd you get there?
1: Home for Good was established back in 2012 as the overarching community agency to implement the 10-year plan that had homelessness.
0: Um, Carmen Cavesa ushered that 10-year plan in. Carmen As city manager.
1: As city manager under uh, Mayor Jim Weatherington. Absolutely. Yep. So <coughs> we were we were brought about to implement that plan. Well, that, that plan has morphed and grown and changed dramatically since then. So our overarching goal and mission is to make sure we're connecting those who are experiencing homelessness with the service providers that can provide housing and the wraparound services so they can get immediate and long-term resolution to their housing needs and sustain their housing long-term,
0: bottom line. So that's what you do. You help people.
1: Make connections.
0: Connections to get in. How many people has Home for Good helped in your five-year tenure? How many of you gotten it? You 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 use a variety of methods too. You use uh, section eight vouchers. You use yeah. Uh, pro, you use uh, f- philanthropic monies. You use a little bit of everything, right? We
1: have we have diversified, and we continue to try and diversify our, our funding streams throughout our community. Home for Good, again, being just the organization that helps make the connections, but helping other providers to have access to funding that they didn't have to help with match, to help with technical assistance so they can get it, to help with reporting to federal and state agencies so that they qualify for funding. Uh, there there have been hundreds. I, I You know, out, on, on any given month, there are, you know, six or seven people being housed directly by Home for Good, and our other providers are, are doing about the same. So we we have made a huge dent um, in those experiencing homelessness. But we're, we're always going to have we're always going to have someone who's going to who's going to get into that spot where where they're going to lose their housing. But the key is to be able to turn them around within 30 days. If we can turn it from losing housing. To rehouse within 30 days, the likelihood of that person and their family re-entering that homeless service uh, realm is, is is just about zero. It's turning that situation around quickly. So
0: after 30 days, it becomes a much bigger problem. It does, yes, much more costly.
1: Much more costly. Both, in,
0: both in dollars and human toll.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. The, the 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 trauma it takes, and you know, if we want to talk about children and, and how that affects them and, and their futures, and, and we're talking multi-generation. So, again, don't want to get too heavy.
0: <laughs> how did you? Get, well, it's going to get heavy, but how did you get into this business?
1: I was, the, uh, I was a continuum of care liaison for then Columbus Regional when I worked at Columbus Regional Source. It was an outpatient case management program, um, and we saw some similarities and some overlap in our patient or client um, portfolios. So we started talking, and then I started serving on the Continuum of Care Board in two thousand three. Continuum of okay. Care is the I, is the federal designation for the local entity responsible for securing, verifying, and monitoring federal funds. So, so it's
0: where the dollars meet the road.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: And yep. so you were in that. So you understood it from a right or wrong a bureaucratic standpoint
1: from a bureaucratic and compliance because that was my that was the world I was operating in in my in my work at, at Columbus Regional I was looking at compliance and it was just numbers it was statistics and so then I went out on a point in time count our point in time count is um a actual assessment of the numbers done and by the home needs. for good done by led by home for good in the community we have anywhere from 40 to 60 volunteers that help us and we're out oh dark 30 in the morning and late, late, late late night um, under bridges, on the river walk, in shelters and I went out and it was 2014 January of 2014 and I went to the bridge behind Metropolitan Baptist Church where's that? On 5th Avenue as you're going up 5th Avenue towards the medical center It's on the left-hand side, and I went up that bridge, and there's a ledge where people literally had mattresses and had created little hooches up there, and that's when I knew it wasn't about the forms, the applications. It wasn't about the statistics. It wasn't about the numbers. It was about faces.
0: I covered a point in time count one time, and I had a similar experience that you did about it being about reporting and came, holy cow, these are my neighbors. And mine was under what is McCarley Transmission, mm-hmm. the bridge right there at Dillingham Street on the Phoenix City side. When I went down that hill, and I dang near rolled down it, when I went down that hill, turned around and looked back up and saw essentially how they, there was a concrete outcropping there. and my, I think I'm describing this right, but there was a concrete outcropping And there were four, eight uh, men and women, dogs. There were several dogs on leashes, ropes. It was a community. They established a community. And, you know, and and I was the newspaper guy at the time. But, you know, I had done business with McCarley. I've been, you know, I've been in that area a lot. I've ridden bikes by there. I've never at it the same way since that about four o'clock that morning yep it, you because you see it every day but you don't see it till it sees you
1: it will forever be embedded you will uh, like you said you'll never go by there and th- and feel the same you'll never not
0: like i wonder who's down there today
1: not take a look a hard look
0: But our jobs probably put us in that position. How does somebody whose job doesn't put them in a position to go face-to-face with it, how do they get to experience what you and I experienced in that point-in-time count?
1: Well, the first thing that we can do is to involve them in something like our point-in-time count. Like I said, we have community volunteers uh, that we solicit every year to come, and we try as best we can to mix it up. So we have some experienced folks who, who do it every year with some folks who've never done it before.
0: Because you're walking into areas that could you're, be dangerous and in some areas you're unwelcome. You are.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and but let me back up and say we, we do have um we do have security. We do have police escorts um plain closed most of the time. Just because it's about homelessness. It's not about law enforcement. They're there for our safety. They're there for the safety of, of, of those experiencing homelessness and those that we're going to speak with. But um, it, we're not going and trying to, to criminalize homelessness. So
0: You're trying to count them so you can get which, the funding you need?
1: <clears throat> well, we're trying to not just count how many. Again, because then we're just talking about numbers. I'm trying to assess the needs of the Chucks out there. Oh, your name, age. Let, we get some basic demographics, but we also ask the questions about mental health, physical health. How you long ask about going. military service, right? Ab- oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If um, somebody's
0: a veteran, there may be more options open to get, the help, to get them help.
1: Ab- that we, have, we have available vouchers right now for veterans um, that, that we're just waiting to use. So absolutely. We ask an, a, a standardized assessment that's very similar to the triage we do for everybody who talks to us on a daily basis. And so we know when we're through with that point-in-time count. And we did, we're very proud of the fact that, you know, we've, we've evolved with our technology and we, we have an a, a Internet-based program that at the end of the surveys we literally know who's there and we can start assessing and, and referring for needs.
0: Last point-in-count time was done in January?
1: It was done February this year. We got a waiver. Uh-huh. Because um, of COVID. Because of COVID. We, want, we anticipated a post-holiday surge, and so we wanted to, to mitigate the risk of anyone getting infected. So we did it on February the 16th.
0: What was the count in Columbus, Phoenix City?
1: You know, I should have known you would ask me that, and I don't remember. But we were down two from the year before.
0: So ballpark number? I mean, 250-ish. 250-ish. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this year's point in town will move to mid-January,
1: it will be uh, January the 25th and 26th, the last Monday, Tuesday, in January this year. We've already got those days reserved.
0: And you assemble these teams, and you go out in the field, and you count. Mm-hmm. If somebody wanted to be on one of these teams, what should they do?
1: Well, they can always contact me uh, at my email address, which is pat at United way of the CV, as in Chattahoochee Valley, dot org. Um but we will start at the end of November, we will start posting on our website availabilities for volunteers for slots uh, v- volunteer slots our website is homeforgoodcv.org
0: I don't normally do this on the show but I'm going to urge people to volunteer it's something that will Something that will open your eyes. And it kind of leads me into my next line of questioning. You see homeless, you count them. How many people in this town would you suspect are homeless but uncounted? People that are couch surfing on a family or friend's um, couch. Or people that may be in that 30-day period you talked about a minute ago where they they're out of a house, they've been evicted. They may be in their car until they can get another check and, and go get another place.
1: I I would say we're looking at at double what we count. As a that are literally homeless as the 250, we're probably looking at double of that. That's couch surfing and and the, if not more. Um, so 500 plus. <clears throat> yeah. That being said, um Thankfully, as a result of CARES funding that is, has been allocated to our, our region, um, we can even help with those. If someone's in a situation that's going to be, they're either going to be evicted um, or they're going to have to leave their current residence within the next 14 days, there, there are programs uh, through ER, ESG prevention that can help ESG. them. ESG? It's emergency solutions grant. It comes through the state of Georgia. It was part of the CARES funding that was uh, awarded last March. Or, or, or past Congress last March,
0: you served on a commission appointed by Governor Kemp yes, that looked at homelessness across the state during COVID. Yes, sir. Um, you represented Columbus in the Chattahoochee Valley on that. What did you learn?
1: That little old Columbus, Georgia, is uh, is pretty much on the ball. We were we were active and doing things one day after. We went into an emergency, uh, you know, stay-at-home order. That happened on that Friday, I believe it was the 13th, and on the 16th, the homeless service providers, our service, all of our other service uh, fellows. Is that
0: like Homeless <coughs> Resource Network?
1: Homeless Resource Network, Salvation Army, Open Door, Safe House Ministries, Feeding the Valley. We all started chatting, Hope Harbor, what do you need? What 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 can I help you with? Who And we started... Doing bulk shopping, um, in the next day, uh, with, with Community Foundation and the United Way, they came to get. We came together with our community call that we did every day. I think for three months, and then we went to weekly calls, and then we went to the bi-week.
0: That was United Way and the Community Foundation. Community Foundation.
1: So Columbus and that is one of the things that we used as an example of how others could communicate because there was major, major uh-huh. disjointed communication throughout the state. We, we 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 led we led the we led the state in that. So
0: you felt better about our efforts after seeing it on the compared to other parts of the state.
1: That's a polite way of putting it, yes, sir.
0: But it's you can't compare it's not apples to apples to compare homelessness in downtown Atlanta to homelessness in Columbus.
1: No, absolutely not. Absolutely I mean, that's not. That's not a fair comparison there, on there, any level. There's not a there's not a however how the agencies come together and react and respond to the needs, now that you can. Because we all have a duty to respond to the needs of our neighbors. And especially when that's what you get paid to do. And that's, that's your job. And it doesn't mean you go in and you close your doors for months. It means you find a way to work around it.
0: Is the job frustrating?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's as frustrating as it is joyful. Why? Because it's people. The best part of the job is the people. The worst part of the job is the people.
0: People. And I'm going to bring up a name that you and I both know. Um, And I don't say this loosely. a friend of mine was homeless, Jerry, I mean, and Jerry passed away a couple of years ago. But he was truly a friend of mine. I sat and had coffee with him. I talked to him in various states of, of being. There was a homeless guy who was my friend, but there was nothing I could do about his homelessness. In the, I mean, I know people tried to help him, and it didn't, just didn't work out. I mean, and there are people that want to help people, but sometimes they're not going to take the help, right?
1: Sometimes you just have to keep asking. You keep asking. You keep asking. And, and, and Jerry's one of those cases. There's another gentleman I see about three times a week, and I'm not going to call his name. Are you ready? No, ma'am. I'll let you know, Miss Pat. All right. See you in a couple days. And that, that's our relationship. Will you, will you
0: go back and ask again for the end of the week?
1: Oh, yeah. It's only Tuesday. I'll see him at least twice more.
0: At some point, will he seek help? Is there a bottom?
1: I don't honestly know the answer to that. Because we can want for others, but they have to want for themselves. All of us do. Are, are are you know if I can look at myself and say, oh, I should do this and I should do that. Well, it's a matter of whether I'm going to do it, whether someone wants me to do it or not.
0: Okay, I'm going to ask this and ask you to percent percentify it. Not a word, but it is on the Chuck Williams show. I'm going to ask you to put percentages on it. And homeless people with certain okay, how many homeless people are have been incarcerated or repeat offenders types?
1: Ironically, you asked me that because I was doing statistics on Saturday for a report that we're putting together. Last
0: year... I didn't know that.
1: Last year, 82 individuals entered our homeless network of systems, our our homeless provider system, our homeless management information system, our database, directly from an incarceration situation, whether it be jail or prison. Only 82.
0: 82 out of how many?
1: Seven hundred and something.
0: So, incarcerations probably, yeah, si- yeah.
1: four and a half to seven yeah. percent somewhere in there. Okay, if I do uh, the math,
0: how many of the how many of the homeless people have diagnosed mental illness?
1: No more than the general population, and I'll take it one further.
0: See, it, I would argue that with you, but tell me why I'm wrong.
1: Because you're medicated or I'm medicated, I have access to services and I have a support network that's not that's not gonna allow me not to take my beds. That's not gonna let allow me to fall through the cracks. We have I, I I've looked up on many, many, many occasions because I often get the question, Well, how many of those experiencing homelessness have um, drug addiction or mental health problems. So yeah, it's no different than the person who leaves their office, gets in their car, drives home, has dinner and takes their Prozac with a glass of Chardonnay.
0: So if I ask the same thing about substance abuse, you're going to give me the same answer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Is that somewhere where the general public has the wrong perception of homelessness?
1: the only difference in the person again sitting at the dining room table and the person sitting on the bench is that one has shelter and one doesn't there but for the grace of god go i you
0: know there before there for the grace of god go i i mean that's you know that you know some people aren't going to want to hear that but it, it's true, right? It's, a, it's accurate.
1: There's, um, it's amazing when...
0: You know, we do, it, we do do amazing here in Columbus.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> when, when, when you sit back and you see how the, the, the people who we are supposedly serving are giving us more of an education on who we really are, and we're ever doing anything for them,
0: so you're saying you learn from the people that you reach out that that come into your path and your employment every day,
1: and we're not going to learn how to fix it unless we ask the person who's in the middle of it
0: and I'm fairly familiar with the housing aspect of it because I've covered it and because of what my wife does. Is, I mean, My wife, Kathy, is the CEO of NeighborWorks Columbus, which is a nonprofit housing initiative. How, how severe is the affordable housing issue in Columbus?
1: I know Kathy quotes the numbers all the time. It's really, 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 really hard to find an affordable unit right now. And it's literally, we are pre-leasing when people are still in homes. We are working with landlords. Thankfully, um, we have a really uh, wonderful relationship with lots of independent landlords as well as corporate, you know, the management companies and things. You're talking about home for good. Yes. And and many of our community partners. Again, it's, we're, we're, Really trying to make sure that we, we <coughs> as a community, have a certain standard for how we, as service providers, handle case management for our clients, handle relations with our landlords, and this, so that everyone has the same expectation. Also, then it goes both ways. Um, but we we have landlords say, hey, I know I'm going to have a unit coming available in two months. We will have two or three people looking in that one unit. It's tough. It's are, tough.
0: And these are people that you're trying to keep out of homelessness.
1: Or who who are in our emergency shelter um, right now and, and so normally our emergency shelter was 28 to 30 days. 120 average right now.
0: Say that again.
1: Yeah. 30 days again. Remember I said that 30-day window? Yeah. That's your that's your sweet spot yeah. or as in, in the medical profession you you know your your magical hour. Um, you know right that's that's what we try desperately our emergency shelter 30 days turn it around get someone rehoused it's averaging 120 days right now so it's four times four times
0: and is is lack of affordable housing the reason for that one of the reasons it's 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 the largest reason what are some of the other reasons well, the
1: lack of affordable housing allows the landlord to be choosier too and and we have a a, a generation of, of people or I should not say a generation we have had over the past year more uh, more of our clients that have had decades of bad rental history credit history and those kinds of things
0: Th- this is issues stacked on issues
1: yep Again, no, no one thing has caused it yet.
0: If somebody made you czar of the world, which I can't understand why anybody won't do that, but if somebody made you czar of the world, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, um, <coughs> uh, and you could fix one thing to fix the homelessness problem in Columbus and throughout Georgia and across the country, what would you do?
1: Wow. Um... I think, I think I would start with families not giving up on each other.
0: It starts that close to home? It
1: starts that close to home.
0: Very few of the people
1: we work with don't have family right close by. But we've burned bridges or whatever, and we've not learned conflict resolution. We've not learned how to, uh, to say I'm sorry. Had to follow through, uh, we've we've become an instant gratification throwaway society.
0: And part of the thing we're throwing away is people. Yep. And you see those people every day. Yes, we do. Has there been a point in the last five years when you've been doing this when you've just said, oh, what am I thinking, why am I doing this?
1: I, probably about once a month. Probably once a month when it gets to be when it gets to be that no matter what you do this situation is not changing anytime soon
0: and you could go back to a cubicle at Columbus Regional my Columbus Regional <laughs> and count numbers yeah. but you know but people certain people and you see them throughout the community people that choose to step into the arena and deal with these systemic societal problems usually are doing it for deeply personal reasons. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Do you have to understand the problem to fix it?
1: I think at some level you do. However, I don't think that you have to have the perfect solution. I don't think, I think what, what troubles most of us and how why we end up banging our heads against the wall is we're so worried about getting it perfect that we do nothing.
0: Is perfect the enemy of good?
1: There you go. I mean,
0: I've, Absolutely. Heard that, I've heard that phrase my whole life, perfect is the Absolutely. enemy of good.
1: That's the one I was looking for, I couldn't come up with it. <laughs> And you 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 mentioned you know people who step into the arena and do this you know uh, on many many occasions, uh, my those who know me know my dining room table in my house is 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 a conversation hub, and it's been that way my entire life. And how many times uh, it's well, well, why don't you just get do this or just do that or I don't understand why you don't just well. Because, you know, sometimes it's about not fixing today but planting the seed to make changes that are going to come down the road. This did not thi- – this, this, this homelessness issue, like every other of the many myriad of, of, of things that we're dealing with, not only in our community, across the country, and across the world right now, are, are not overnight phenomenons. So they're not going to go away overnight but we need to start planting those seeds of of change now for my grandchildren and their children.
0: When you finish this job 10, 15, however many more years you go, homelessness is still going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. How do you rectify that you're not going to be able to work yourself out of a job? There's going to be somebody coming behind you and replace you.
1: Will I make it easier? Will I, make, will I m- have improved someone's life? Will I m- have made a difference in how we approach things and the way we help people to get the help they need? Uh, I think about it, you know, I worked in healthcare for many years. I didn't cure cancer. But there are people who are living longer and being able to live good lives. Um, so, yeah, okay, I'll take that.
0: You meet somebody from that's not from around here, and you're somebody that deals with the underbelly of Columbus in a lot of ways. And they ask you to describe Columbus, Georgia to them. How do you, when you were on that state commission, how do you describe Columbus? I mean, people talk about the rapids, the white water course, they talk about this amazing downtown, which. A lot of the homeless people are sitting on benches in. how do you describe Columbus when people ask you to describe our city?
1: I describe Columbus as a once military town which is now becoming a cultural mecca for um multiple generations of people when when I think about you know growing I moved here as a military brat and Now to see just the eclectic fabric of Columbus that's celebrated
0: cultural mecca
1: though. Have you have you been around here for a while?
0: Thirty two years.
1: You and I got here about the same time.
0: Yep, I was uh, I was uh, I guess I was a thirty twenty nine year old kid. I was working at the Ledger Enquirer, working the night shift because I was assistant sports editor. And literally, I could go out at midnight, and I could tee up a golf ball in the middle of Broadway and hit it and not worry about hitting anybody or any cars. There was nothing down here. And we go out there and hit golf balls in the middle of Broadway while we were waiting for the paper to get off the press.
1: Uh, I believe that. And Top Hat Chicken was around the corner.
0: Yeah. Ben's wings and things. Yes. Yep. Know.
1: And the golf course was still on Victory Drive. And
0: up until about a year ago, one constant was there was always an ambulance in front of the Ralston. You know? Let's talk about the Ralston. One of the things that i found in covering the Ralston over the years was, and I think Charlie Gower, who won them a $125 million lawsuit against the New Jersey-based owners of that, Building, I think one of the things that I discovered was that that truly were the people who lost and are homeless. Yes. I mean, it, it, it was an either-or situation. That's and that's why some of them didn't mind living in the most deplorable of conditions.
1: And unfortunately, many people during that whole multiple-year escapade to to get the Ralston closed said well it's better than where they were
0: did that just piss you off
1: we will not do business with certain landlords in Columbus because of that because of the fact that their properties barely pass an inspection and the moment something goes wrong it's not going to get fixed. It's never going to get fixed. So, absolutely. That it, it, we, we have uh, this, this approach to, well, it's better than. If I wouldn't put me and mine there, it's not going to happen.
0: Do you remember the first time you walked in the Ralston and actually saw the conditions?
1: Actually, I, worked there, I went to the Ralston when I worked at Columbus Regional. And there was a time where we were not allowed to go above the first floor. Because of the conditions,
0: did you ever get above the first floor?
1: I did the first year, and after that, we could not go
0: above the first floor. What'd you think?
1: It was sickening. It was absolutely sickening. It was a safety hazard, unbelievable. I had nightmares about what would happen if there was a fire—a real fire.
0: I mean, the fire station is two blocks away, and there's nothing they could have done. No, at park. absolutely not. It was over. You know, we're fortunate that didn't happen. Absolutely. I'm and
1: and again, we, we talked about... When I say what,
0: we are talking about the community.
1: Right. When we talk about what homelessness looks like, there there was two gentlemen that lived there. And both of those gentlemen retired from the medical center. They worked in food service for 30 plus years. They did all the right things. They paid their taxes and everything else. And that is where... They ended up, well, it's the best we can do. I'm glad to know that one of them actually now was a homeowner on Fourth Avenue.
0: In the new, in the, in in the, the new, Na- uh, never w- worse. Columbus. Um, that street, you know, is an example of what can happen.
1: That whole area is an example of what can happen. What can happen when we stop saying, well, some, the great philosopher, uh, my son, once said, you know, I'm so tired of people saying, Well, somebody ought to do something about that. Maybe that somebody's you. Maybe that somebody's you. And there are some of us that say, Okay, well, let's do it. May not be perfect. It's not gonna be for everybody. Nothing's gonna be for everybody. But we're heading in a in a positive direction. And that same thing that's going on in 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 the area over there at Fox Elementary in the Bib Village can Absolutely can go on in every community. The in your
0: living it. facility that's over there now. Absolutely. It's you know, it's interesting and my wife has been involved in much of that as have a number of others, but you know, when I'll I've been riding down Fourth Avenue with her, you know, from the time before they did anything to now, covered a murder trial where <laughs> where that street was yep. front and center. You know. And I'm, I couldn't be more proud of her, and you know, in what they've done. But you know, there are people that step in the arena, and you're you're kind of the prime example of that. Well, a prime example of that to me, because you could be doing something else, but you're sitting there, you're fighting a dragon. You probably are never going to slay. That's
1: okay. He'll limp. He'll be limping when he
0: finished dealing with me. So what do you do to relax after you end up making dragons live?
1: <laughs> well, I have five grand- grandchildren that keep me busy, and uh, believe it or not, I, I'm the little old lady that sit- sits and knits and crochets and sews. So,
0: is there some satisfaction in mending and creating blankets?
1: It's amazing because I, I, I've many times have seen the correlation between taking either a piece of yarn a piece of fabric and making, transforming it very similar to what I do at work.
0: And you can multitask and watch TV or listen to a book on audio. You can do a lot of things while you're
1: in. And cook at the same time, yeah, of
0: course. You can cook? Yeah. What's your favorite thing to make?
1: Depends on what day it is. This weekend it was soup. It was curry butternut squash soup and hot and sour soup.
0: Where'd you learn to cook?
1: My mom. Not neither one of those, but my mother was a wonderful cook. But so my my mother was, was 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 German. My father was Irish, so we had a lot of lots of pot roasts and sauerkraut and potatoes. I, I go more to the, the Asian and Thai flair. Oh,
0: uh, what do you what do your grandkids call you? Nana. Nana? I'm Nana. Mm-hmm.
1: What are their ages? Fifteen, twelve, twelve, eight
0: and uh, two. What is it about being a grandmom or a grandfather that, it you know, we're probably at very similar stations in life that you just you look at the world so differently when you get those kids, those grandkids. The grandkids, is it because they are the hope that they are the future? Is that part of it as a grandmom?
1: And I will do anything to make it better for them.
0: Bet you will. Mm-hmm. I bet you're a pretty fierce grandma. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet I'm not gonna
1: let you talk to him, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nana. I like that. Well, we're we have just gone through an episode of the Chuck Williams Show. We're at a point now in the show, and I didn't tell you this was coming because this will be interesting. Uh, I call it turn the tables. Okay. Um, I've been asking you questions for 45 minutes. You got anything you want to ask me?
1: Oh, wow. So you came to Columbus from where?
0: Montgomery, Alabama.
1: But you're originally from Troy, right? You follow. You follow. That's right. Okay. So how did you and Kathy meet? Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Her organization was seated by grant from the Bradley Turner Foundation and it was seated many years ago. I was a reporter and uh I was covering housing issues in the town, and my bosses wanted me to go figure out why this organization was invested in. It didn't take me long to figure it out, and we built a professional relationship. I covered an organization, and until a point, I went to my bosses and said, I don't need to cover this organization anymore, and we were married three months later. So, you know, we built a trust on both a bicycle. We rode some together, but also...
1: I was going to ask you about biking, because I haven't seen you on your bike lately.
0: I've got a Peloton now, so I'll do it inside. (laughs) But, you know, the thing about it is... You and I know this because of our relationship and, you know, the six years I've been covering your organization. You have to trust me, but I've got to trust you. Mm -hmm. I, I mean... You know, you and I will have conversations that you will help me understand things or even stuff that may not be directly under your purview. There has to be a trust between a reporter and a source. Mm -hmm. And I've been fortunate that I've been able to build that trust with a lot of people that matter, that can help me understand things and help me be better at what I do. And I would consider you near the top of that list because, you know, you know a lot about this community, not just the homeless part, but you know things about specs, the, the other spokes in the wheel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, sometimes those are things that reporters and sources talk about.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know what else to ask you.
0: That's all oh, that works. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, um, you know, I knew this would be a candid conversation, I, and I was hoping it wouldn't be as heavy, but I think – the right conversation for the right time happen. I know the last thing I'll ask you is we're getting ready to go into winter. Um, you feel the chill in the air. You can see the pep in Bob and Bob Jeswell's step. Yep. I mean, Bob looks happy. He's no shave in November. But <laughs> as the temperatures ramp up, it makes the homeless situation better or worse.
1: It It doesn't change the situation. It changes the need. Um, and it also makes it easier to find people because they're more likely to congregate in groups um, and in, in locations um, that have heat and, you know, beds. And beds. Yes. So uh, that makes it a little bit easier for us as providers, but in the age of COVID, I don't know what that means for, for health and safety. So we, we're, it, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword and a, almost a catch-22 that we deal with.
0: Well, you do, you do do the Lord's work, and thank you for your role you play to make our community a better place to live, work, and play for the least among us. That's there's a special place for some people like that do what you do. Well, we've hit the point now, Dylan Hansen, our director. Dylan is my right-hand man. Um, we're at the point now where you can see the Chuck Williams show or watch it listen to it on Tuesdays on WRBL.com from 7 to 8 and it's available on replay any other time after that. It's also available as a traditional podcast no video so you don't have to look at Pat and I but that can be on uh, Spotify, iHeart and Apple. Okay that's good and then social media we all know we're all social media creatures. It's been interesting to watch all the news about Facebook and Algorithms and the politics of it. it's been fascinating news on social media in the last couple of weeks. You can get me on Twitter at Chuck Williams, on Facebook Chuck Williams WRBL, and on Instagram Chuck Williams 0999 Well, you've been listening to another episode of the Chuck Williams Show. We've had Pat Frey as our guest. Guest is it director or executive director?
1: Um, Vice president now.
0: Vice president. Okay. Vice President, what's that? (laughs) We're we're done now, okay. Obviously, Vice President of Home for Good United Way Agency. So that's kind of created the United Way umbrella as reasons of VP. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get Pat. Excellent conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us, and we hope you'll come back for another episode of the Chuck Williams Show on WRBL.